0: today Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1 and again I appreciate Eric filling in next week he's going to pick up at verse 9 but we're going to go verses 1 through 8 of Luke chapter 20 uh, this morning as you're turning there I remember when I was young I would hear older people when someone maybe made a snide comment in a group to get attention or to sort of take a jab at someone uh, I would hear the older person say well there it goes from the peanut gallery and I had no idea what that meant all I knew was they were saying that if somebody made a negative comment so not too long ago I looked at the history of the peanut gallery and it sort of originated in the days of vaudeville and peanuts were a cheap snack and so The peanut gallery would be the place farthest away from the acting stage, and uh, they were the cheapest seats. And often from the peanut gallery, if they were not pleased at the action that was going on in the drama, the result would be that they would begin to heckle or even throw peanuts at uh, the participants. So then I began to put two and two together and realize that Saying uh, someone is throwing out a comment from the peanut gallery means anything negative from someone who is actually the farthest distance looking in. In other words, somebody who really doesn't know what's going on but is just throwing negative shade. And so as we look today in Luke chapter 20, we're seeing Jesus facing a group that we might say if we could borrow from Uh, that term, the peanut gallery, individuals who were casting negative words toward Jesus, individuals who were trying to entrap Jesus, who had no desire to see Jesus succeed. So as we are looking here in verse 1, and we're going to read it in just a moment, the crowds were gathering around Jesus in the temple area, the temple area from which we saw last week he had cast out money changers. And as the crowds were pressed in close, out in the cheap seats around the periphery uh, were these religious leaders. And we see today a dialogue between Jesus and those who were stewing and those who were scheming against him. Look with me at Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day as he, that is Jesus, was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came and said to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it who gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, they thought, he will say, why didn't you believe John? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know its origin, and then Jesus said to them, "Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray, Our heavenly Fathers, we open your word and this path to Calvary again today. um I pray in the study of your word today that you would help us to glean things from Jesus' response to these." religious leaders, things that we can emulate, things upon which we can focus. Father, we know that as we seek to live a life in Christ Jesus, there'll be those that will challenge us. There'll be those who resist us, even those who might try to trip us up in front of others to discredit us. But Father, we're reminded greater you are who's in us than the one that is in the world. So as we open your word and study it today, we pray your spirit would speak your truth, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the context, again, is so important. We're in the midst of this series of messages, The Path to Calvary, and this uh, particular dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders was happening during Holy Week, or it might be called Jesus Passion Week, or Jesus Last earthly week in his first coming and so as we look at it here there was a lot of activity that was going on and so here in luke chapter 20 we see the dialogue from this group of religious leaders and and we see that they were as jesus was setting his path toward calvary we see that they were seeking to deter him they were seeking to distract him they were seeking to get him off of track uh, the entire time and it's obvious that these religious leaders were perturbed by Jesus in fact I was reading this week and, and some uh, commentator and probably very accurately commented on this particular passage and again this had followed uh, the previous day when Jesus had cast out the money changers so it's very likely that uh, these religious leaders who were of great spiritual influence during the festival weeks were sort of working along with these money changers in other words they were probably both profiting from this activity that was taking advantage of the common people and so when Jesus cast them out he was he was also uh, in a way stiff-arming the religious leaders of that day and their false piety in their plan. And so as we look at it, Jesus was teaching here in John chapter 20. And then we see two main players. While he's teaching and he's preaching the gospel in the synagogue, uh, there's a group these religious leaders who are trying to distract him. And so in, in our text today, what's happening is Jesus is talking with them. I don't, I don't know if Jesus was talking, if they were to come out and the whole crowd could hear him or if it was just a small group, but they began to address him and he responded wisely to them. I want to look at the religious leaders today. and and some characteristics of their life, of their conduct. Then I want to close today by looking at Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we're going to see not only is he our Savior, not only is he the one who gives us eternal life, not only are we dependent upon him for our salvation, but he is also an example to us. That's why it's so important to study the Gospels. I don't know about you, But I want to be like Christ. I want to be more like Christ in how I respond. I want his wisdom as we see his wisdom here in dealing with objectors. I I want to have the focus that Christ had. And so we'll close by looking at Jesus. But first this morning, I want you to note with me the religious leaders it tells us there uh, in verse 1 that that the religious leaders were made up of three groups here that were confronting Jesus. The chief priests, notice it's in the plural. There was only one chief priest at a particular time. That was in this case Caiaphas. But his predecessor, Annas, was still living. And so he, in a way, was uh, honorary chief priest too. And John MacArthur mentions that there are other temple captains that may have been part of this. And so we see the chief priests are in plural, although there would only have been one that was actually serving as the chief priest at that time. He mentions also the scribes. The scribes were Pharisees. In the Old Testament, scribes were individual. Their job basically was to transcribe the law, to, to, to write out the law uh, that was given. But over time, and as time moved toward what we're looking at here they were considered not just people who would write down the law they were considered to be authorities in the law so if there would ever be a question about the law of God uh, then the scribes would be the one who would be asked and they would have the authority to speak and so their responsibility as we move toward from the Old Testament to Christ's lifetime became greater and greater they were more and more respected as understanding the law of God but then you had the elders these may have been the ruling body, the Sanhedrin. And it's a very interesting point in this. These three groups didn't always agree. But guess what? When it came to Jesus, they all agreed they were set against him. And that's often what happens in our world today. But as we look at these three subgroups collectively, I want to note some attributes about these religious leaders. And the first thing that really jumped out at me as I was reading this is they were possessive. They were possessive over what they thought was theirs. Jesus was a threat to them. Jesus was a threat to their authority. Jesus was a threat to their livelihood. And so they were motivated to destroy him before the masses. It wasn't enough just for them to question him, but they had to discredit him. Their attitude was this. Who is this Galilean? He's not one of us. Who is he to decide who's going to stay in the temple and who is not? Who is he to mess with the money changers? Who is he to set himself up as a teacher in uh, the temple? They were threatened by him. They were territorial. Um, our only daughter, Whitney, she lives in Roanoke now, but she went through a great phase where she loved hippos in fact we used to joke every Christmas you know I want a hippopotamus for Christmas only a hippopotamus will do and so in in her room she would have a pink or peach colored room and she would have some picture of a hippopotamus in it or if I could find something stuffed animal I would send it The only thing is, Whitney, it took her a while before she realized hippos are among the most vicious animals in the world. Somehow she missed the reruns of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. But one thing about the hippopotamus, it is one of the most territorial animals. In fact, I was reading this week, it is among all the snakes, among all of the animals, the the most dangerous animal on the African continent. They will rip apart uh, a crocodile. They will rip apart a lion or anything. And those little chubby cheeks, when they open up and they clamp down, they're powerful. And not only in their jaws, but they're powerful in how they're built. But what provokes them is when some imposes upon its habitat. And that's what stirs it up. You know, uh, these religious leaders... Um, They seemed innocuous. They seemed okay. In fact, a lot of people would have seen them out on the streets and they would have said, you know, they're okay. But we, we begin to see the true colors that they were working against the Lord Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing was this. Here was God in the temple and they didn't recognize him. In fact, they claimed to be authorities on God And they missed him. And taking that a step farther, they claimed a right over which they had no right. In other words, here was God in the flesh speaking in the temple. And they're trying to challenge him, to discredit him, to get him out of the temple so that they could do what they wanted to do. They were what? Territorial. And there are many people today who are just as territorial, not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, resistant to anything spiritual that's beyond their control, those who by their very attitudes and influences can hinder the work of God in a community or through a local church, those who think, well, the church is mine, those who think, well, this community is my community, individuals who won't go along with the plans of God because they clash with their plans. But the problem is, as I begin to go through this message, as I begin to point the finger, I realize the fingers can point back at me. Because many times, I can be territorial. Many times, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Many times, when the Lord seeks to work, I may say, no, Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Those two words are oxymoronic. They don't go together. No and Lord. It's a, it's a contrast in terms. You see, even as the temple here in the temple area was god's possession the scripture tells us that our bodies are a temple of the holy spirit and that that we're to live in obedience to god that we're not to be territorial of our own lives we're to yield ourselves to the lord jesus christ i wonder today what might be god speaking to you in your life are you saying no lord are you saying lord i have my plans Are you seeking to work around, discredit the Lord's work in your life, or are you yielding it? But not only were they territorial, but the religious leaders, they were duplicitous. In other words, they were deceitful. They were deceitful in their actions and their words. Now, they knew, they knew Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. I mean, from early in Jesus' ministry, they were following him. So they're saying, by what authority? they knew what he was going to say they knew who he was they knew uh, this but jesus also knew him and knew them rather he he knew that they didn't want an answer to their question what they wanted was to make a public display of him that he would be saying something that would be considered blasphemy, and they wanted him embarrassed in front of the crowd, and they wanted him removed from the temple, temple area. They wanted him to incriminate himself. You know, if you and I were to study about the people who disturbed the Lord Jesus the most we would realize it's not the people probably that disturb us the most. It's not the people that live on the other side of the track so that we consider to be a blight on society. No, Jesus was most angry with those like these religious leaders here. And we can understand why. Because they were self-righteous, they were hypocritical, and not only that, but they were seeking to gain a following for themselves rather than a following for God and so as we think about this and how it applies to our own lives we need to always be asking ourselves this question God am I living for myself or am I living for you you see the religious leaders they were living for their plan when Jesus began to come into their plan they were upset they were disheveled it, it was not unlike Herod you know Herod the Great When Jesus came to the earth, Herod the Great was upset and wanted to kill all the children of a certain age. He sought to find out from the Magi where Jesus was. Why was that? He felt that this child king was imposing upon his authority. Just like these religious leaders here. Or what about the silversmiths? I believe it was in Ephesus when Paul had to address them. They were upset. Why? Because if the gospel came into their area, then their way of making benefit through the idols that they were making would suffer. And so their thought was, I don't want Jesus here. He's crowding out my agenda. Or even the individuals that were in the temple area. They were coming in and dropping their money, the great amounts of money, making a claim, saying, really, this is about me. But Jesus, as we will see, being moved by a widow who very simply, in love for God, gave her offering. And so as we look at it, the, the point that we see is this, a simple person doing a simple act is more highly esteemed than any claimed religious leader who seeks to establish his or her own agenda. And so as we look at that, Isaiah 57 and verse 15, God says in the Old Testament there, I, he's speaking of himself, live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lo- lowly and to revive the heart of the oppressed what he's saying there is i'm high and i'm holy and i live in a high and holy place but he says also i live among the lowly among those who are lowly in heart among the humble based on that definition today of where the lord abides would you say today he abides with me not the religious leaders of that day because that didn't characterize them and so we see they were duplicitous. What they appeared to be outside, outwardly, was not who they truly were inwardly. And we're going to see in just a moment how Jesus reveals that. But there's a third characteristic. Mm-hmm. They were intentional. They were very intentional in what they did. It wouldn't have surprised me, and the Scripture doesn't say it, and we yeah. always need to be careful uh this not to uh, assume something would happen, but, but in my mind it wouldn't have surprised me if they had set this trap days before. if maybe they had planned ahead you know if if he does this if he goes into the temple area and there's a a large group there then we are going to do this and so we see they were intentional they were setting their trap in fact we're going to see it in a couple of weeks also how uh, he they try to set him against the Roman Empire he said you know is it lawful uh, to give to god or to give to caesar we're going to look at that and jesus said there render unto caesar the things that are caesar and unto god the things that are god and so he caught him and again they were setting traps. And so here were the religious leaders of that day, insecure. They were trying to, to uh, possess what they thought was theirs. They were territorial. They were deceitful. And it would be like if they were going around here and just setting a trap here, setting a trap there, setting traps to try to catch Jesus. There are people today who would do the same thing, try to trap us in our words try to make us as Christians seem to be ignorant about things. And to those, we are to continue in the example of Christ to proclaim Jesus. Well, let's look very quickly at Jesus because we we understand the game of these religious leaders. But let's look at Jesus. While the religious leaders in the third point, we saw they were intentional, we're going to see that Jesus was more intentional. While they were persistent and they were persistent in being resistant. Jesus was even more persistent there's something as I was looking at this that jumped out um, there aren't a lot of verses here, and I want to apologize to Eric. Uh, I gave him the longer passage next week, and actually a passage from which I've not preached before, so you haven't heard it unless you heard it somewhere else. And uh, we were talking how that it's a good passage, but it's not one you often heard uh, preached from. But it so happened, and it did just so happen, Eric, in the timing of this. This week was just six verses, and it wasn't a lot. And I began to think about why was this not? Why was not a lot of narrative about this? because Jesus didn't waste his time I I had a professor in uh, seminary Dr. Tommy Lee he was a mentor of mine and 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 he had a way when when great questions were asked he would engage but sometimes people would ask foolish questions just to ask a foolish question even in seminary people can be that way you know just to sort of get under and he would say next question he would move right to the next one Jesus here, there's a reason there are only a few verses here because he wasn't going to cast his pearls before swine. There was work to do. He was headed toward Calvary. There was teaching that needed to be done. There was gospel preaching that needed to be done. And, And that distraction would be there. Now, how does that apply to our lives? We need to live a life focused on exalting Christ. We need to be alert to the distractions that may move us from that. And so Jesus, he saw these individuals, and basically he said, I don't have time to engage in a long discussion. He gave them a quick response by asking another question, and that was it. Now, we need to be very careful here this casting of pearls before swine because we in our own way we might face a difficult situation and we'll say i'm gonna be like jesus like that we need to understand jesus had a history with these guys he he understood this wasn't his first rodeo in dealing with this conflict and jesus was all wise he had a, a very strong sense of discernment what was right and wrong because he's god in the flesh. Many times we don't know. In fact, someone who is sincere may ask us a question, and rather than respond like this, God's Spirit may help us to understand this is a sincere question. And so just because we're rejected or just because someone may be antagonistic doesn't mean that we just shut them off. But Jesus, God in the flesh, understood this situation, and he realized what their desires were. And so as a result, Jesus was investing his time in the people who wanted to listen. One of the most important things we can do in the Christian life is manage our time. I'm not great at it. I wish I were better at it. I see people who are gifted at being able to manage their time very well. But let me speak very personally here. If you're managing your time and it's all about you, you're really not a good manager of time. In fact, uh, sometimes um, what we might consider to be inconveniences are the divine appointments. Jesus was very sensitive to those who were listening. Now see, we had the peanut gallery here. We had the ones who were heckling, who were trying to distract him. But we realized that just as there's a crowd today, there was also a large crowd around Jesus that were soaking in what he was doing. And they were receptive. I wonder today, are you alert to the people who are receptive around you? In the midst of all of the distractions and things that might come that aren't from God, are you alert to to that are you intentional in your prayer life are you saying God I, I, I pray that you would use me to minister to this person that you would God give me an opportunity to share with this person Ephesians 5 16 and 17 says that we're not to live unwisely but wisely making the most of our opportunity so jesus was more intentional and more persistent than these antagonists that he faced but i want you to see a second thing about jesus he walked in wisdom he walked in wisdom and and the leaders set the trap for him and i put quotes around leaders jesus wasn't going to be caught in fact he caught them in their own trap Sort of reminds me of that time Barney you know, on the Andy Griffith show. Remember, he was determined he was going to figure out who had broken in and stolen something. So he set up this exquisite situation where we would take a f- picture of the person who entered the door. He thought at night, well, he practiced it. He opened the door It took a picture of him. He caught himself in the trap. And that's what happened in this case here uh, with uh, the religious leaders. They thought they were going to trap Jesus. And Jesus turned the question around. Rabbis in that day often would do that. They would turn the question around. You ask me a question, I'm going to ask you a question. He said, John's baptism, was it of God or of man? And he knew he had them squirming then. And they thought, well, if we say of God, we know Jesus is going to say, well, John the Baptist, you, you consider him a prophet. Look at what he said about me. Why don't you believe it? So they couldn't go there, but he realized that they realize if we say of men, this is a large crowd here, it's going to discredit us. It's going to discredit us, and they may stone us. So here was a group trying to discredit Jesus, and Jesus was turning around, putting them in a situation where they would discredit themselves. And so what did they say? They pleaded ignorance. We don't know. I wonder today, do you want to walk in that type of wisdom? You want to have the wisdom that Jesus had, to possess the wisdom to know how to deal in difficult situations, to be quick on your feet in thinking, to think like Jesus thought. There's a very clear way. Know the Word of God. Apply the principles of the Word of God to your life. Study the Word of God. Apply the Word of God. Grow close to God through the presence and power of his holy spirit practice obedience in your life if you desire that wisdom and take the steps then you too will in that time of testing be able to act wisely but i want you to see a final thing about jesus he did avail himself to those who earnestly sought him it was a horse and pony show with these religious leaders jesus Put that fire out very quickly but i want you to see in verse one he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news going back to my mentor at, at seminary this distraction came he moved he said next question ready for those who were really serious about hearing from him We've been studying on Wednesday nights about King Asa and uh, we finished that out uh, this past week and and it said, and we looked at it two times, that God said this, seek God and I'll be found by you. Something simple. We say, well, yeah, yeah, but it's true. Seek God and he will be found by you. We know that up here, do we really live by it here? Here. And I believe that's a promise While I was given the context of the Old Testament. It is a promise that is for all of time. I, I was reading um, today in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. And God told, that you can see it's red letter if you have a red letter edition. When, when God spoke, when Jesus spoke and said, I have many people in this city. Don't worry, keep serving me. Now, that doesn't mean that someone in a third world country here can name and claim it and say, oh, I, if I just, God's got many people where I am. That, no, that person may die by doing that. that. That was a promise that was given in a specific context for a specific amount of time so that Paul could accomplish what he would accomplish. It's not that I could go in the midst of a rough neighborhood and preach Christ and think that I'm going to receive the same. But this promise, I think you can see, is different with King Asa. Seek God, and he will be found by you. That doesn't, that doesn't close. It doesn't expire with Asa's life. That's the truth, that if you and I seek God, we will find him. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be easy. We might find him through difficulty. Well, how did Jesus deal with these spiritual leaders he gave them a little time. He acted shrewdly. Psalm 18.26 says, with the crooked you prove yourself shrewd. But not with the others who were there because Psalm 18.26 also says, with the pure you'll prove yourselves pure. So how does this truth apply to us as we close today as we've looked at this brief dialogue uh, that Jesus had with the religious leaders the first is this we can be sure that if we earnestly seek God he will reveal himself to us that if we're serious about truly knowing God developing these characteristics of Christ that he will be found by us but then the second thing that we see how it applies to us today is we need to be like Jesus in this carrying out his business and not moving askew from the distractions that will come. We need to be single-minded. Christ, his mind was toward Calvary, so everything he was doing had to be toward that end. And so it says that in one day as he was teaching, in other words, rather than saying, and this is three days before Calvary, you know, i've been in this three years it's coming friday um and i'm just gonna take some time off no he continued to teach he continued to preach we're on the path to calvary and eric next week's gonna lead us into a new part of this and i'm excited the verses that he'll pick up with pray for him as he continues this study but let's remember as all of this was happening Everything that was in accordance with his goal toward Calvary was considered essential. These other things were distractions. Let's pray. Fathers, we've looked to your word today. We thank you for it. Lord, um, help us to possess the mind and the spirit of Christ. Focused on the things that matter. Not giving time to the distractions. Lord, there are times that we have to address them but we're not to dwell in them. Father, we thank you that your word promises us that those who earnestly seek you will be found by you. Lord, the religious leaders, they didn't find you. They didn't find you because they were not earnestly seeking you. Father, forgive us for the times when we ourselves are territorial toward this church, toward our lives, toward our families. Help us to be honest with ourselves in areas that we seek to not relinquish control. And Lord, help us to obey you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.